0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chemaah Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And as you guys know, if you're regular listeners to the show, we normally don't have too much problem churning out a good hour's worth of podcasting goodness for you on, on a weekly basis. Even on a quiet week, there's always something to talk about. We might struggle this week, Sandu. It is not a particularly, it's not a particularly busy week. We had a UFC fight night at the weekend. Uh, We'll talk about the, the, the highlights from that. We have a UFC fight night coming up, but the card is in complete disarray. We don't know what's going on. And normally there's some big breaking news that we're able to sort of use as what we call our sandwich topic and stick in between those two fight card discussions. It's very quiet. I mean, it's so quiet you didn't even have to do any work at the weekend.
1: Well, there's a good reason for that. Uh, so I don't know if everyone's been following this. Maybe, perhaps, everybody in the UK is aware of it. Uh, perhaps, folks outside of the UK, not so much. But basically, there's been a big, you know, online hate campaign called "Draw the Line," um, which is, has involved uh, football clubs, Sky Sports, BT Sport, a bunch of other media outlets have have got involved, and you know, broadcast partners have got involved. Where they basically went dark. They went dark from friday all throughout the weekend and i think it all ends at midnight tonight as we record this podcast on monday and then things get back to normal and the kind of i guess um reasoning behind that is to kind of just jolt the system in a way and say look you know whether you're a celebrity whether you're at school no one deserves to be thrown abuse at you know using twitter or instagram facebook or any other social media platform and to shut things down to take away your favorite outlets and content your football teams tweeting out or posting on instagram content what that also does though it kind of affects the 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 pockets of the platforms because they rely on these big brands that have a massive following uh, to keep churning out content and keep posting because they're monetized most of the time and so i think it's a good good campaign and uh, what what i meant for me personally though was yeah i don't like you said simon there wasn't much for me to do on my shift on friday night with smackdown and and saturday night with the ufc because we weren't going to be posting anything so for you know it's the first time in a long time simon i'm not gonna lie i literally watched the event purely as a as a fan where i had barely any work to do it was kind of nice in a way um, but at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. That's the job. And uh, I would rather be, you know, clipping and posting and, and what have you, but, you know, sometimes there's uh, more, more important things like a campaign, like draw the line. So if anybody wants to find out more information about that, you can literally go to any of the BT sport social media handles, uh, scroll down and you can read all about it.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll admit I've, I didn't post any kind of statement on my social media about it, but I, I've not, I've not. Uh, tweeted during during the uh, the blackout. It's just you know, as a company, um, it's not something that that, that Reach, who own the Express, the Star, and the Mirror, they've they've gone in on this as well, and uh, it's it's been kind of weird. And just normally, it's a natural thing. You publish stuff, you promote it on social media, you have a conversation with people about it at times, and it's been very strange to not have that as part of your of your armory when you're putting content together. But it's also been kind of nice as well. It's I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's social media is great in so many ways, but it does it, I mean, for me personally, it takes up far far more of my time than it probably needs to, and I still need to be better at doing it. So I'm a bit more efficient. But um it's been kind of weird and also kind of okay as well just stepping back from it a little bit. Um, so I've not been constantly checking my phone every two minutes, which is what I'm always doing. So, so that's no bad thing, but we did have fights this weekend and, uh, it was a big weekend for the light heavyweight division. Yuri Prohaska beating Dominic Reyes at UFC fight night back at the apex this week, uh, this weekend, no fans in attendance. So we've got these UFC apex shows as they have been all the way through the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, no fans behind the scenes that, that raw feel again, And it's kind of an interesting contrast where we've had the big arena show for the pay-per-view at UFC 261, and we're going to get it at 262, and we're going to get it at 263. But in between, we're going to get these, these small, very intimate UFC Apex shows. I don't think the UFC have announced they're taking any fight nights on the road yet. So for now, they're all going to be at the Apex. And Yuri Prohazka did the business on Saturday night against Dominic Reyes, um... He's so awkward to what he's such a languid, gangly, unorthodox striker. But when he connects, my goodness me, he's got some power. And uh, he's got an insane record when it comes to first round finishes. And he took it all the way through rising, became champion there. And it was against Dominic Reyes. It was a case of how will he do against a truly elite light heavyweight? The answer? Pretty well. He finished uh, Dominic Reyes spinning back elbow knockout. Real highlight, real stuff. He's got to be next in line, isn't he? After a finish like that, Sandy.
1: I think so, Simon. And uh, I, I'm certainly in agreement with that take. I mean, this guy, he's come in and like an absolute force in the UFC. Obviously, you know, he's been around a while. He's 28 years of age, already a champion for another promotion in, in Ryzen. He's on this incredible run where I think it's been, what, six, seven years or something where he's been undefeated now. The last loss he took was to King Mohamed Lawal, and, you know, that's a, a win he kind of got back later on during his run in Ryzen. But, you know, he came in and he got signed by the UFC last year, knocks out Volkan Ozdemir in the second round. And then he's put straight in against Dominic Reyes this past weekend, who's a former title challenger. And he just finishes him with the most brutal contender for knockout of the year, spinning back elbow, only the third spinning back elbow finish in UFC history. And it was violent. It was brutal. It was shocking. It was that, Oh my God moment of the night. And and to be frank, it, it, it was required. It was needed, to be honest with you, Simon, because lots of decisions on the card, but when a, when a main event ends like that, that's like going to be the major talking point uh, in the fallout from the event. And yeah, if you're asking me who do I think should be fighting for the title next, I'm putting my stake in the ground and I'm saying Juri Prohaska. Now, he's 2-0 and o in the UFC. There is a guy that's ahead of him in the rankings right now that's been on a great run, too, And his name is Alexander Rakic. What do you think, Simon? Do you think there's a case to be made that Rakic should get the title next? And of course, you know, we know that Jan Blahovic will be fighting Glover Teixeira in September for the title. So that fight's going to happen. We know that already. But who's next? I'm thinking Yuri
0: Prohashka. So do other, other people, Simon. But Alexander Rakic has got a case, hasn't he? He's definitely got a case. Um, you know, the fact he's been in the building for longer, so to speak, with the UFC, I think speaks a lot. You look at his overall UFC resume, he's, you know, he's had he's had more fights. What's he had? Seven fights in the UFC. Um, he's six and one. His only loss was a split decision that I thought he won against Volkan Ozdemir. Um, but you've got to look at, it's very it's, it's it's very difficult when you're comparing and contrasting. You've got a guy like Prohaska, who's only been in the UFC for a couple of fights. But look at his resume. He's got 23 first round finishes to his name. 23. And I think 21 of those were knockouts. Um so this man is a is a born finisher. And and you can't ignore that 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 excitement level when you know you've got someone who can go in there and just turn someone's lights out in the blink of an eye and has done it over and over and over and over again during the course of their mixed martial arts career. Rakic might be more well rounded. He probably is. He's also more proven on the UFC stage. He's had more fights. But if you're the UFC and you're looking to book the most exciting fights possible, you probably go with the guy who's got a string of first round finishes to his name. The recency bias also leans towards uh, uh, Yuri Prohaska as well. But of course, this all depends on when Jan Blachowicz wants to fight next. Um I think he's he's relatively keen to get back and fight again. So it's not like he's on a, a massively long injury list or he's on a massively long suspension. So I would imagine late summer, early autumn, maybe, um that would be that would be kind of the sweet spot for 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 a Jan Blachowicz title defense, maybe sort of September time, August September time. Um and then it's a case of who do you want? You know, who's who's the top guy? It's probably Yuri Prohaska, I think. Um, if Jan isn't going to fight until a bit later, I've got no problem at all seeing Yuri Prohaska and Alexander Rakic going head-to-head in the middle of July, June-July time to fight for the right. Then that would be an outstanding matchup as well because even though Rakic's last three fights have gone to uh, the scorecards, he is a knockout artist. He is a kickboxer with really, really good striking. A lot more uh, polished and orthodox than Yuri Prohaska. But has got that got that magic touch when it comes to uh, knocking people out. So I would imagine it will be him. So
1: we know that Jan Blahovic is going to be fighting Glover Teixeira. And this was first reported by ESPN's Brett Okamoto. Dana, Dana White told him last month that's going to be the fight that takes place. And that's going to take place in September. Now, <clears throat> there's a few things you could do if you're Yuri Prohaska, right? Sit back, wait. And if you're going to get the next shot, you're probably not going to get it until end of the year, maybe early 2022, just depending on the fallout of the the fight between Blahovic and Teixeira. And then you've got Rackett as well, and you're like, well, what are you going to do? And I, and I was kind of thinking, how, can, how will this potentially play out? Because you don't want to knock off any contenders in a division that isn't that deep right now. You could potentially do... Prohaska versus Rakic as a number one contender fight. And those two can, can then go on to fight the winner of Blahovic versus Teixeira. That obviously makes all the sense in the world. But then you're killing off contenders. And right now you've got Prohaska and Rakic that have got a legit, legitimate case as being contenders. I was thinking, and again, for me personally, I think Prohaska to get the next shot. Why not have Rakic run it back with Ozdemir, perhaps? Even though people scored it in favour of Rakic, you can kind of almost run that one back, get that on his record that he's he's put that one to bed. And I'm sure he wants to get a rematch with anyone he's you know lost against. So you could potentially do that. Or what you could do is you could have Rakic face the loser of Blahovic versus Teixeira. And in this case, this is, presume, if it's going to be Teixeira, you could do Teixeira versus Rakic, Brahashka versus... Bloich and of course Blovich you know didn't even waste any time did he you know he was obviously paying attention on Saturday night, put a tweet out which kind of essentially placed the um, a potential bout with Brahaska in a town called Sizen if I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but I mean an, an all-european clash for the light heavyweight championship in Europe would obviously make all the sense in the world especially when the world opens back up again. But all of a sudden, Simon, we've got some young blood now in, at, at light heavyweight and it started to get exciting again. And when you've got guys like Praska who's just murdering people, left, right, and center, running through this division, coming into the UFC with, a, with already a big chip on his shoulder as, as a champion in Ryzen. Now that John Jones is no longer a 205er, I think it's time to kind of
0: put that chapter well to bed and, and start to get excited of a new era. Definitely. And uh, as you say, that, that title fight, Blahovich versus Glover to share UFC 266, September 4th. No location yet for that. Um, but uh, the other option, of course, with something like that is you do the number one contender fight on the same card because what it does, it acts as a backup plan as well. Anything goes wrong with the main event, you've got an instant uh, backup plan. You can move whoever you want. Into the uh, into the title fight as necessary, and then your narrative is set coming out of that event. Then, so if Rakic were to face Prohaska in the co-main or on the main card, and you've got Blahovic versus Teixeira in the main event, winners go on and face off. Maybe the losers go on and face off. So, um, but as you say, the UFC light heavyweight division dominated for so long by Johnny Bones Jones uh, is moving on, and uh, I think that's what needs to happen. Jan Blahovic. Turned back the challenge of Israel Adesanya. Uh, gave him his first career loss. And uh, he's cemented himself now as the man to beat at 205 pounds. And, uh, yeah, it could get quite busy at 205 as, as the year comes to an end. Uh, co-main event on Saturday, Sander, I thought was a really interesting one. Jiga Chikadze has, has always had that look of someone who could potentially become uh, a bit of a contender at 145 pounds. Um Took On Cub Swanson, which I, I I took that as being this is your test, this is your acid test. Have you got what it takes to jump up to the next level? He's kind of like the end of level boss to become pro- from to move from prospect to contender, uh, in the UFC because Swanson's been there, seen it, done it all. He's been around the game for so long, he's still world class, he's still excellent. And Jiga Chikadzi put him away, uh, you know. Superb body kick. Finished him on the on the ground with some punches. Job done. 63 seconds. To do something like that to Cub Swanson is no mean feat. And uh, I think Giga Chikadze, after that fight, said he wants top 10 opposition next. I think he deserves it. You know, that's that's the sort of performance that he needed to be doing. I think his first couple of fights in the UFC, he showed flashes of his striking, but wasn't able to really, really get the, 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 the eye-catching finishes, so to speak if I can put my teeth in. Um, but now he's gone in there and he's put Cub Swanson away. That's a statement win. Now, big, big fights await for the Georgian. And uh, he's got a great backstory, uh, fascinating uh, fascinating backstory that, that I think will really resonate with people. And uh, he's a hell of a striker. So he's going to be a problem at 145 pounds. I'm looking forward to seeing how they match him moving forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he came into the UFC, well, he started his MMA career coming off the back of an incredible kickboxing career. 38 wins and 6 losses, according to his Wikipedia page. And since we've become aware of him in the UFC, undefeated in the UFC, Simon, and now he's got two back-to-back finishes and also both secured him performance of the right bonuses as well. Club Swanson was the real, I think, first big name. Um, on his resume, and we've seen this before, Simon. You know, a lot of the uh, the veterans of the UFC that have got established names in the sport, they typically get kind of get fed to the up and coming guys, right? To see if these these guys can make a name of them, and that's exactly what Giga Chikadze did. And you know, he's come out of this event, Simon, completely unscathed. And he said he's going to stick around. He's he's going to be in Vegas this week, hoping to get a fight. And he's calling for Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who we know right now is without an opponent with the whole fiasco with regards to Diego Sanchez, now no longer with the UFC. They've parted ways. Donald Cerrone is the kind of guy that is just, you know, he'll turn up, give him a date, time, and an opponent. But let's see what happens. Looking at the UFC website, Simon, right now, and the main event is currently, as we record this podcast, TBD versus TBD. So we don't know what the main event is where there's, what, six days left to go until the, uh, the the event. But what we do know is that Giga Chikadze is ready, available, healthy, wants to compete on Saturday night, and Donald Cerrone is without an opponent. I mean, hopefully the stars align and they can make that one happen because essentially Donald Cerrone is a you know, glorified lightweight competing at welterweight, and Giga Chikadze is just fought at featherweight, doesn't need to cut too much weight, I would imagine, to make 155 pounds, or maybe they can figure out a catchway. What do you think, Simon? I mean, that would be a hell of a story if Chikadze back to back weekends in Vegas in the Apex. And in this occasion, if he gets a main event slot, whether they use Cerrone or whether they go with a Michelle Watson fight, we'll get to that in a second. But all, all of a sudden, Simon,
0: this 32 year old Georgian is making waves in the UFC featherweight division. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, we've seen it in the past. You know, Hamzat Shemaev became the rising star that he is by fighting very, very quickly, you know, turning around almost back to back and doing events in quick succession. The good thing about this one is from a medical uh, perspective, this checks a lot of the concern boxes off very early doors because having to make two weight cuts in quick succession is obviously a concern. He probably doesn't need to, you know, he's fought at 145. When he stepped in the cage on fight night, I would imagine he came in between 155 and 165 anyway. So if he sticks around uh, around that weight, he's going to have no problem at all. You know, he might have to work up a little bit of a sweat to get to 170, possibly if he had a particularly big celebration meal after his win. You know, I mean that, that's basically what we're talking about here. So um, and Cowboy Cerrone. You know, I don't think he would he would have any problem accepting a substitute opponent. That's just not his thing, is it? He, he doesn't pick and choose. Just put someone across the cage from him and give him a paycheck. He'll go in there and, and throw down. And stylistically, I think it would be a great fun fight. I think it would be brilliant. I mean, Cerrone loves nothing better than to stand and trade. Chikadze is predominantly a stand-up fighter. I think it would be a really interesting test. Chikadze would be probably the slightly smaller guy, um, but not by much. Not by much. You know, I think uh, Cerrone might be a bit thicker uh, at the weight, given that Chikadzi's, you know, been fighting at 45. But yeah, I'd love to see that. And uh, as, as we say, and, and we'll move on to Saturday night's card um, in a minute, that is the sort of fight that that card really needs right now because they're in absolute disarray. You go, you try and look for an updated fight card online depending on where you go, you'll get a completely different set of fights, you know, completely different main event or proposed main event. Everything is in, in a state of flux right now. And it's the Monday of fight week. So uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, you might be listening to this guy. Well, we know now we know who the main event is right now. We don't have a flipping clue. We do not have a, <laughs> a Scooby-Doo who the main event is going to be. Um, and uh, I think it'll probably be Michelle Watson, but if they want to do Cowboy Cerrone versus Giga Chikazzi, I'm down. It could be main event, co-main event, main card opener, fight past prelims. I don't care. That's a fight I'd like to see. So um, that would certainly be uh, a good addition to the card and would fix fix one of the problems that they have with the uh, Saturday night's card, which I'll say again, we will talk about in a little bit uh, here on the Brit Pack. Elsewhere on that main card on Sat- this past Saturday, Ion Kutalaba versus Dustin Jacoby. This for me was one of those fights that whenever I and fights, it seems to be just like path of the course. Whenever he fights, watch the weigh-ins because he, every single time he does something crazy. I, I, I can't think of a time where he didn't he either turns up with his whole body painted green, like the incredible Hulk, or he decides he wants to fight a day early that, that they seem to be the two things that happen sometimes both at the same time. Um, and that's what we got again this week. You know, he faced off with Justin, uh, Dustin Jacoby walked on the stage, shook Dana White warmly by the hand, and then tried to shake Dustin Jacoby warmly by the neck. You know, it was it was it was ridiculous. And uh security Steve and the rest of the crew at the UFC security team had to move in, break everything up, make sure all was well. But then fight night came, and we didn't get a satisfactory result out of that either. It was a split draw, twenty nine twenty-eight each way, and a twenty eight twenty eight card. Do we want to see this one again? Or do we want to just say, listen, guys, let's 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 move you guys into different directions here. Because this isn't this isn't the first time we've had um Kutalaba in a in a fight that hadn't quite ended in a in a satisfactory manner and then they've run it back. They did it with Magomed and Kalayev, didn't they, with a with the with their their two fights, um, which I think the second one of which was earlier this year. So um are we gonna see another rematch for, for the big Moldovan? What do you think?
1: I mean, if they want to run it back, I don't mind. Uh, one thing I will say, Simon, about the the incident at the weigh-ins, in the past, you know, and this goes to, goes for all kind of um, face-offs, you know, at at the weigh-ins or you know post weigh-ins, you can tell when it's forced, and you can tell when it's organic. You can tell when it's you know been manufactured, or you can tell when someone's going in there to try and cause a a, a scene that they know will go viral on social media. That's what it felt like there was no real bad blood between these two heading into this past weekend. And Ian Kutlaba got his, you know, hand around Jacoby's neck, forced him to him. I genuinely thought, Oh no, here we go. Are we going to get another situation situation with what happened with uh, Jer- Jeremy Stevens and Dracar close what, just a week or two ago. Yeah. And, and it's funny because Dana White was having a dig at Sean Shelby about that incident. And here we had Dana White, you know, doing the, doing his job and uh, not catching that one and so i think he had a bit of a laugh with the media that were on site when that you know incident went down but yeah it didn't work for me what can i say when it's genuine when you can when you when there's genuine heat between fighters going into fight week and you know doing media and you know when they do their face offs yeah it, it makes all the sense in the world where there's going to be a bit of a, a commotion at the weigh ins when it's forced like that it does absolutely nothing for me and I don't know if that's something that you know he's constantly thinking, oh, I need to do something at the weigh-ins. I need to be memorable, et cetera, et cetera. But I tell you what would help make him memorable is if he does the business inside the cage. And the thing is, he almost got it done in the first round. And it's why this you know ended up being a split draw. I had it 28-28 at the end of the fight. I thought Jacoby won rounds two and rounds three, 10-9. But... I gave Ian Kutalaba the first round 10-8. And that's what balanced the books there. And I think what happened was he just completely gassed out. He went a hundred miles per hour, Simon, in those first five minutes, couldn't secure the finish, and then was just absolutely out of it for the remaining 10 minutes of the fight. So yeah, so maybe these guys can run it back one more time if they're both healthy and able to, and they can you know fit it into schedule. And Lord knows with these apex events, you know, you know, completely in flux. I'm sure the UFC wouldn't mind having a bit of a story with uh, with a fight that's already taken place, bit of history there, you know, unsatisfactory result, you know, for all parties concerned. So yeah, if they want to run it back, I don't mind, but yeah, with regards to all the the nonsense at, at the weigh-ins and the face-offs and stuff like that, if it's natural Eon Kutalaba, if it's genuine, if you've got beef with your opponent, yeah, I love it. And that's when it hit home for me personally and I'm sure a lot of people watching all the time when it's forced, if you' are just trying to make a a scene it's not gonna not gonna hit home from him, unfortunately,
0: yeah, yeah I go along with that I go along with that I mean uh, as someone who wanted to get a, an extra UFC story up on the website on the day, I won't lie. I was grateful it happened because it gave me the perfect the perfect uh cover picture to slap on the on the sport homepage and try and drag a little bit more uh attention across to the UFC section that we're trying to build up but um but yeah, you know, you don't want people just going in and and you know, turning it into professional wrestling in terms of trying to invent stuff, you know, it needs to be legit and uh but he has got he has got a history of getting involved in in aggravation when it comes to it comes to weighing. So um you know, given given all of that, I don't know how many more times he's going to be allowed to to, to be doing these things before the Nevada Athletic Commission say okay, we'll have some money off your purse for that because uh it's becoming a little bit of a trend, so uh, we'll see what happens with him next time out. Actually, he didn't fight Ankaliev this year. It was last year. It was October last year was the rematch. Um, Ankaliev won both those fights by first-round stoppage. There's a bit of controversy over the first one. Uh, no controversy over the second one. Ankaliev, by the way, he's a man who I fully expect to be up there challenging for the title in the next 12 to 18 months uh just throwing it back to the light heavyweight thing um and in a slight segue just moving off that card was there anything else that leapt off that car for you sandu i mean there was a little bit there was a little bit of controversy over the um luana pinheiro random marcos fight which i think was the final uh prelim i think there were like multiple eye pokes from pinheiro to marcos in that fight and then marcos caught pinheiro with an upkick uh Pinheiro unable to continue all of this in the first round by the way um and uh Pinheiro was awarded the uh the victory via disqualification I know Marcos has been on social media and said that um Pinheiro oversold the effect of the kick um and also bemoaned the fact that she got poked in the eye three times which I think you know you're well within your rights to complain if you've been poked in the eye three times but um yeah what did you what did you make of that because you know, controversy in fights in the UFC is no, is no new thing, but there's all sorts going on in that one. Yeah, I mean,
1: unfortunately, I think, you know, this is a tough one because I think Paul Felder on the broadcast kind of surmised that perhaps Pinheiro was faking it and there was a bit of uh, acting going on in the aftermath of that, you know, illegal upkick. And then it was, the weirdest thing for me, Simon, was she was carried away like a baby by her coach. And there was a, a video that went, you know viral on, on social media. I can't remember who, who captured it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if she's in that bad of a state you know, after being concussed or knocked out or however she was feeling after that upkick, shouldn't there be a stretcher uh, to take her away? Shouldn't there be UFC officials and doctors and, and what have you to help carry her away or take her away or perhaps sit her on a stool? To make sure she can actually get up on her own accord. To see her getting carried away like a baby was just the weirdest scene. So I don't know what what was going on there whatsoever. But um, and and I think even Ronda Marcos has come out after the fact on social media and essentially said she feels as though there was a bit of a you know Oscar Academy Award winning bits and pieces going on there. But I don't know who, who knows with these things. It's, it's it's an unfortunate way that that fight ended. And we, 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 it was, it's kind of weird. We're seeing a lot of these bits and pieces happening lately, aren't we? You know, Obviously, there was the, the most famous scene of 2020 in, in the way the Peter Young-Algermaine Sterling fight ended. And obviously, Algermaine Sterling's kind of used that as, you know, as part of a gimmick now with, it, with regards to just being a social media troll, I think, is what he's trying to do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, Simon, you know, on a card that had tons of decisions, not many finishes outside of the main co-main event and obviously the way the Kutalaba-Jacobi fight ended. Pinheiro, Marcos, and how that fight ended with that illegal upkick disqualification was really the only other major talking point coming out of this weekend.
0: Yeah, and that was her debut as well. Luana Pinheiro, she came through the contender series. Really good judoka. Really good judoka. She was on a six-fight win streak going into the weekend. I guess that means she's on a seven-fight win streak now. Um, That's not the way that you'd want to get a win. Um, but you know, she's often running in the UFC, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if they booked a rematch, to be honest. Um, given given all of the all of the uh the fallout over what happened in that fight. That's another one where you know it wasn't it wasn't the ideal finish. And Randa Marcos, so I remember watching come through the ultimate fighter, she's 10-10 and one um for her career. You don't get many fighters in the UFC with a 50-50 record. So um but there you go there's one there random marcos uh 10 10 and 1 so uh interesting to see whether they rebook that and we see that one again um that was ufc fight night this weekend prohaska and Reyes got fight of the night prohaska doubled up his bonuses 100 grand uh night for uh yuri prohaska because he got the performance of the night as well as did unsurprisingly giga chikadzi um before we go on and talk about this weekend's show we very very quickly just to bring up today USC 263 uh has been officially confirmed now I think most people knew that that it was it was all set to take place it's going to happen in Glendale Arizona on on June the 12th at the Gila or Gila River Arena which I'm not familiar with um but more importantly that is another card that is going to be held in front of a capacity crowd. So clearly what the UFC look like they're doing, they have earmarked their pay-per-view events and they're taking them to places where the restrictions are, I was going to say lax. That's not the right word to use. The restrictions that have been eased sufficiently enough to allow for, um, fully, fully populated arenas. And, uh, that one will be headlined by Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori for the UFC middleweight title. It's going to be a, a double feature because you've got Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, uh, in that epic it's, it's sure to be an epic rematch. Their first fight was incredible. One of the fights of the year in 2020, uh, they fought to a draw because Figu- uh, Figueredo was deducted a point, I think in round three for, a, for a nut shot. And, uh, were it not for that point deduction, he would have retained his title via a victory. As it turned out, he retained it via a, a split draw um and now we're going to do the rematch and uh, i'm delighted that we're going to see that one again because that was an outstanding fight that'll be the co-main event also on the card paul craig scotland's paul craig takes on jamal hill who looks very good at 205 damian Meyer takes on Bilal muhammad drew dober takes on brad riddell and there's a whole load of other fights on the card including joanne coldwood versus lauren murphy in what might be a flyweight title eliminator winner of that i would imagine is going to get valentina shevchenko next because i think murphy is the highest ranked fighter in that division who hasn't already fought for the belt so um she's kind of defending her position really against jojo coldwood if coldwood gets the job done and i know the ufc have put her in position to earn a title shot before we might finally get to see jojo coldwood in a title fight Sandy.
1: Yeah, that's definitely going to be a tight eliminator. I mean, who else is there? Simon uh, flyaway, To be honest with you, for for Valentina Shevchenko. And like we spoke about just a week ago, I feel like Shevchenko and Amanda Nunez, they're on a path to fight each other again at some point down the road. But for the for the, for the time being, I would like to see them both maybe even to see out you know this year by defending their belts you know one or two more times. And obviously, from a, a British perspective, would love to finally see Joanne Coldwood get her shot. Uh, get an opportunity to fight for the title she's been around a long time and um obviously you know just one fight away now she's been almost like Bisping, always the bridesmaid you know never the bride and you know you think she's going to get over that you know hill get that you know win that's going to propel her into a title title fight and it just hasn't worked out for her here she is again lauren murphy is uh, someone that's obviously been around a while herself, put together a, a great win streak. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to this card. And also, Simon, it's just nice that we've got these big pay-per-view events to look forward to where they're full of title fights. The big stars, the big draws are back involved at the top end of these cards. The UFC are selling tickets in states where they're able to and regions and cities that they're able to. And it's it's nice to kind of almost get the gears going again. Yes, for these fight night cards for the, for the foreseeable future i can only see them being held at the apex until more regions open up where they can perhaps take their time to promote a card because like right now simon how can you do it how can you sell tickets for an event like this weekend where you don't even know what the main event is there are so many moving parts and there's still so many variables involved where with these big staple monthly pay-per-views they can really give it a nice long runway sell tickets make that announcement good pr all the rest of it have title fights booked on there you've got nate diaz coming back in a couple of weeks You've got conor mcgregor fighting in a couple of months you know so it's all it's you know business is starting to boom again and it's good to see and it's obviously very exciting for us as viewers as members of the media broadcast partners to be involved with these events in some capacity because as we saw just a week ago you know in jacksonville when the fans are back and you know they they cause that you know, scene. There, there's emotion. There's atmosphere. It makes a massive difference. Um, So yeah. So I guess if anyone likes these events without fans and enjoys the little subtleties of the sound and the cornermen talking and and the, you know, hearing all the shots land and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, enjoy it while it lasts because it's not going to be around for that much longer outside of perhaps say the Ultimate Fighter and, and smaller shows.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting how how quickly I have already lapsed into completely getting used to seeing crowds again, because obviously we're, we're as, as a, as a planet, we're going through a a period of transition. This vaccine rollout is happening. Um, I'm having my first one this week, which I'm for someone with a massive needle phobia. I'm surprisingly excited about this. Um, so it will be good to get the first one done. I'll have the other one done in time for the summer holidays, which will be great. Um, But yeah, like watching UFC 261 was just incredible. Obviously, because it was the first one, it is slightly jarring because we've been used to everything being locked down. But since then, like I've just spent the weekend watching the NFL draft where absolutely huge crowd, about 150,000 people over the course of the, the three days were in Cleveland watching the draft live in person. Now, they were all fully vaccinated. They had to be vaccinated um in order to attend so presumably they had to show id and confirm that they were all vaccinated i don't know whether that's feasible on an event to event basis with something like the ufc or even whether they want to be going down that road but seeing the crowds back and seeing atmosphere at an event was awesome and uh ufc 261 was incredible ufc 262 which is going to be the lightweight title fight with um, charles Oliveira and michael chandler that will be huge. And now we've got Israel Adesanya in a rematch against Marvin Vittori, who uh, took the fight uh, against him on one scorecard because it was a split decision when they fought the first time round. So um, that'll be an interesting one at 185. The flyweight title fight will be an instant fight of the year contender, I suspect. Um, that'll be a good fight as well. That's UFC 263. As I say, that was con- confirmed uh, just one or two days ago. but. Uh, that really is all we've really got in terms you know, it wasn't that much massive news this week. As I say, it was so quiet this week. And let's look ahead to this weekend. Everything is slightly in pieces. You, you go on the Wikipedia page. I've got it in front of me right now. And normally they've got a nice table laid out with all of the fights in and they've done their best to to declare the main event and which fight card, which what portion of the card they're on. The people who've put that page together have committed to a, prelimin- a, a prelim middleweight fight between Jun Yong Park and Tafon and Chukwe. That's it. That is literally <laughs> the only fight that's on that table. And then underneath that is a big list of announced bouts, uh, none of which they're prepared to actually put on the fight card uh, because nothing has been officially confirmed yet. So it looks as if it's going to be Michelle Waterson versus Marina Rodriguez at, a, at 125 pounds. That's what we think it might be. But Donald Cowboy Cerrone is on the card against TBD. Um, and so potentially, depending on who, who they get for him, if they can keep him on the card, that could potentially be the main event. But um, let's say, let's just for argument's sake, Sandu, say that all is well with Giga Chikadze. He's up for it. And uh, Cerrone's up for it. And the commission gives it gives it the thumbs up. Is that your main event? Or do you put Watterson Rodriguez in the main event? Well, that's a great question. If it's if it's me making the call,
1: you got to go with Cerrone versus Chikadze. You know, Cerrone. You know, not too long ago was headlining a pay per view against Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, for God's sakes. You know, he's the bigger name, and and this is the way the business works. You know, the top of the, the you put the biggest names in your main event. It's what sells. In this case, it's not selling tickets, but it's what the draw is for a, for an audience on on live TV. And so, yeah, if if it's me making the call, Simon. You've got to use Cerrone in that main event. Um, and if if they can't get an opponent for him, if the Chikadze fight doesn't happen, then I guess you have to default to Michelle Waterson versus Marina Rodriguez.
0: Yeah, I'm just running my eyes over the uh, the other confirmed fights on the card. The ones that stand out to me. Angela Hill versus Amanda Hibas at 115 pounds. That will be a great fight. That will be a really good fight. As will Neil Magny versus Jeff Neal at 170 pounds. I guess it's possible they could bump one of those guys up to face Cerrone, given that it's the same weight class. But I wouldn't want to mess with that matchup. That matchup, I think, makes sense for both Magni and Neil uh, in terms of their respective careers at 170 pounds. So I wouldn't want to break that one up. So Chikadze slotting in and taking on Cerrone, I think, would be spot on. Um, I suspect they'll do Waterson versus Rodriguez as the main event because it has some sort of divisional significance. I think the UFC need flyweight contenders uh, to take on Valentina Shevchenko. And the winner of that fight will be one step closer. I think maybe they'll need one more win. But if if Watterson or Rodriguez does something extraordinary on fight night, you never know. They might just get the next shot at the title. So um, we'll see how that all pans out. Who else is on this card? Big Ben Rothwell is on the card, Sandu, against Felipe Linz. Uh, that could be an interesting one. And uh, Mike Trezano, Ludovic Klein. Klein looked really good last time he fought. I'm looking forward to seeing him again. And uh, Phil Hawes versus Carl Dorcas. That will be decent as well. Carlos, uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira versus Gregor Gillespie. Gillespie, of course, was thought to be one of, the, one of the coming men at 155 pounds, a future contender, outstanding wrestling credentials. And then he found himself on the receiving end of one of the greatest head kick knockouts in UFC history um and uh ended up getting absolutely sparked by kevin lee and now he's on the comeback trail now um this will be his first fight since then so uh there's a lot of interesting a lot of interesting ones to sort of look at as we go into fight night sandu
1: yeah and look i think this is a prelude to the real big event which is going to be the Oliveira chandler fight co men evented by nate diaz versus leon edwards so we're just a couple of weeks away from that one but You know, in terms of, I guess, what we would normally call a sandwich filler topic area uh, in our podcast, this is a a fight night card that I don't think is going to have too many people staying up late in the UK, if I'm honest with you, Um, you know, it's, it's, listen, the UFC are a content creator partner and they have to serve as many events that they are contractually obliged to, to their broadcast partners, the primary one being ESPN. Does that mean you're going to get the most stacked cards each and every single weekend? No, it doesn't. But, you know, if you're a UFC fan, then you're going to probably end up staying up and watching these fight fight cards, and, you know, sometimes they produce a bit of magic. Like we saw this past weekend, Simon. You know, if anyone missed out on the fight night card for this past weekend, there's nothing like it. I'm telling you, man. Like, seeing Juri Prohaska deliver that spinning back elbow finish to Dominic Reyes, and then seeing Reyes face plant in the most violent fashion. This is why we like sports. This is why we like combat sports, because when you're watching live and you're able to viscerally react in that moment, there is nothing like it in the world. So who knows? Maybe this weekend we'll produce some more moments like that. We'll have to wait and see.
0: Fingers crossed. Before we go, Sandu, let's do one more thing before we go. Let's do some way too early predictions. For UFC 262 you just mentioned it there the mm-hmm. main card is an absolute banger we've got five great fights let's run through them very quickly just quick fire picks we'll start with the featherweight bout: Shane Burgos versus Edson Barboza. let's get some way too early picks I'll put my flag in the ground straight away Shane Burgos is going to get this one done
1: me too I'm picking Shane Burgos as well
0: I think that's going to that that could if, if, if it goes away into the fight and it isn't ended violently in the first round, that could be one of the most violent fights of 2021. Caitlin Chikagian is back in action, the former uh, flyweight title challenger taking on Vivian Arujo uh, in a fight that, again, they're looking to make contenders for Valentina Shevchenko. Chikagian's always there or thereabouts. Arujo looks pretty good, though. Which way are you going with this one? I'm going...
1: This is a hard one. I'm not going to lie. This is a tough one. I was just about to say Chikagian, but I think I'm going to just just slightly give Vivienne Araugio the nod here on this one.
0: Yeah, I think if she can close the distance, she'll get it done. But I, I do like Chikagian's footwork. I think she's going to stick a move away to another decision win. So I'm, give me a blonde fighter, Caitlin Chikagian, in that one. Now we're into the really, really big fights on the card. Lightweight division, former interim lightweight champion of the world. Tony Ferguson is back. And he's taking on Benil Dariush. This is a tough, tough fight. Dariush is in good form. Ferguson really needs a win. What say you, Sandu? I think this is the year of the El Kakui comeback.
1: I'm picking Tony Ferguson, although this is going to be an extremely difficult fight for him.
0: Yeah, I think I'm not going to lie. I think uh, this, is, this is a pick with my heart rather than my head. I'm going to go with El Kukui as well. I think Benil Dariush has got everything in his arsenal to beat Tony Ferguson. His submissions are outstanding. Um, When he gets involved in a tear-up, he's got knockout power. But Tony Ferguson, when he's on his game, has got something a little bit extra. And even Michael Chandler this past week said that um, he thinks Tony Ferguson is potentially the hardest matchup in the division. So um, if Tony Ferguson gets it done, he's going to be right back in the mix. Um, I'm going to pick him to win that one as well. Co-main event time, Sandu, and uh, it's one that really is going to attract a lot of interest on our on, on, on our side of the pond, on my side of the pond, if you like. Leon Edwards against Nate Diaz. It is the biggest fight of Leon Edwards' career. It's a fight that arguably doesn't do a huge amount for him <laughs> because Diaz isn't really a factor in the division. But a win over Nate Diaz always is something very, very special for your resume. Beat him, there can be no doubt that he surely has to get a title shot after that. Will he get the job done against the Stockton native? What do you reckon?
1: I think he will, Simon. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, look at the form guide. It tells you everything you need to know about Leon Edwards. His last loss was a decision to the current champion, Kamaru Usman, back in December of 2015. He hasn't lost since. He's won all of his fights barring the unfortunate no contest he had with Bilal Mohammed in March of this year. So this is an easy one for me to pick. And I will say one thing and we'll go into it in more detail on next week's show. But I feel like Leon Edwards needed this fight. He really did. You know, Nate Diaz. Raises the profile of the event. Nate Diaz raises the profile of the event. Look what happened to Jorge Masvidal becoming a BMF champion. He ended 2019 as the consensus fighter of the year. He rolled right into 2020 with a time. Since that Nate Diaz BMF fight for Jorge Masvidal, he has had two back-to-back title opportunities against Kamara Usman because his profile was so big, he became a legitimate draw. And I'm not saying that Leon Edwards is going to become a draw if he be, you know, beats Nate Diaz, but what it will mean is that a lot of people that perhaps aren't familiar with him, aren't familiar with his story, haven't seen him fight before, or perhaps don't remember his previous performances, they are going to be paying attention when it comes to that particular fight because he's fighting Nate Diaz. But when it's all said and done, Simon,
0: I'm going to be picking Leon Edwards to win this one. Yeah, same here. Same here. I think he's got the all-round game. I don't think... I think the only the only person at 170 pounds who can beat Leon Edwards right now is the champ, Kamara Usman. Maybe Colby, possibly. But I think they're they're 50-50 kind of fights. I think they're fights that... Leon is capable of winning both of those fights, but he's going to have to really perform at his best to do it. He should be able to beat Nate Diaz, I think. And if he gets it done, and if he does it with style points, then all the better. And... uh then surely the UFC won't be able to deny him the next shot. I know Colby Covington is due to face Kamara Usman next. It's now Leon Edwards' job to make sure that he faces the winner and uh, a win over Nate Diaz Should, should achieve that. Then it's the main event. For all the marbles at £155, Khabib's belt is now up for grabs. Charlie Olives, Charles Oliveira against Michael Chandler who is going to fight for the belt in only his second fight in the UFC, which is insane to think about, really, to get a title shot. At this stage in the sports development, obviously we've seen it happen earlier in, in, in uh, the UFC's uh, history, but now with the sport as, as mainstream as it is and with the divisions as packed as they are, to come in, win a fight and get a title shot is a pretty big deal. Is he going to get the job done? Or is it going to be Charles Oliveira? This is one of those fights where you can make a really strong case either way. Which way are you leaning, Sandy?
1: Me, oh, Simon, I am so torn on this fight. Um, it's it's so tough because you're right, it can go either way. You know, Michael Chandler's come into the UFC and he's got the incredible knockout power we've seen, not just in his run in the UFC, which is you know obviously just the, the Dan Hooker fight that we can look on, right now but even looking back at his belly performances you know the guy can really throw throw a punch but there's something about Charles Oliveira and you know people have kind of you know nicknamed him the Brazilian Tony Ferguson and uh, you know what I'm going to pick Charles Oliveira Simon just looking at the form guide looking at his run of wins he's you know put together an incredible string of wins all in the UFC he's been around in the UFC A very long time. You know, I mean, let me look back at his record. He's been in the UFC some. He made his debut in August of 2010. He's been there for 11 years. He's been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. He knows what it takes to walk down that aisle. He knows what it takes to, you know, perform against some of the biggest names in the sport. And I think this is something that, you know, if you look at his story, he's been, you know, really trying his best to get to a, a spot where he can fight for the title. And it's so un, it's so fortunate that the Poirier mcgregor fight ended up you know going the path that it did that opened up this opportunity for him. Because I think even after the Tony Ferguson win, a lot of people were thinking, you know what? I think Charles Oliveira may need one more win to kind of put himself into title contention. And he's found himself in a very fortunate situation here. And yeah, I'm picking him to win, Simon.
0: Well, this is interesting because I'm picking Michael Chandler. And uh, I've kind of had a look at Charles Oliveira's record. He's won eight in a row, right? You can't deny the man that he's won eight in a row. But I'm looking at the people that he's beaten. And he's beaten Tony Ferguson, who we don't know whether he's plateauing or on the downslide. We don't know. He's beaten Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee, who went toe-to-toe with him for three rounds, made a mistake and got subbed. But beyond that, Jared Gordon, Nick Lentz, David Tamer, Jim Miller, fair enough, Christos uh, Giagos and Clay Guida. Not many championship contenders in that list. That's all I'll say about that. He has lost to Paul Felder. He has lost to Ricardo Lamas, to Anthony Pettis and to Max Holloway. All of those losses came by stoppage. So I'm shooting it through the, that that prism, if you like, with all of that knowledge. And then I look at Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler got beat by uh, Patricio Pitbull. But otherwise, uh, oh, and he got beat by Brent Primus due to a a freak injury. But other than that, he's looked incredible in Bellator. He's come over to the UFC, took on Dan Hooker and looked outstanding. Now, in terms of the UFC, very small sample size. But if you beat Dan Hooker, then you you immediately deserve that respect. And I think he, he fully warrants... Uh, being in this title fight under the circumstances that we're looking at them, I'm going with him. I think he's got, I think he's got the the uh, the smarts. I think he's got the striking power. Um, I think he's got the ability to keep the fight off the ground. Just as his wrestling is outstanding at getting the fight to the ground, I think he's equally adept at making sure that it stays off the ground. And if the fight stays on the feet, I don't think Charles Oliveira can beat him. Um, and that's why I'm going to go. With Michael Chandler for my way, way, way too early uh, UFC 262 main event prediction. But uh, that is how we think it will pan out two weeks out. We'll talk more about that event next week uh, on the show as we start to really ramp things up heading into fight week for UFC 262, which takes place at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas, in front of a packed crowd. That will be another wild night um just looking down that that prelim card there's some great fights on the prelim card as well we'll unpack it all on next week's show but sandu i think that's probably all we've got time for on this week's episode of the brick pack how can everyone get in touch with us and uh, make sure they get the show every week the best place for everyone to go to is the Britpackmma.com.
1: that's the Britpack MMA if you go to that website there will be links for spotify for apple for YouTube, which is you know, obviously the platform would really love for everyone uh, to commit to in terms of liking, subscribing. Go there, we've been talking about it, we've been banging on about video for a long time. Believe us, it's coming sooner rather than later, just bear Honest. with us a little bit longer. Um, and yeah, you can follow Simon and I um, on, on through that um, website as well. So that's the BritpackMMA.com. And for those of you that listen to us, on apple podcast specifically if you can do us a solid favor rate and review us that goes a really long way in helping the show get found on that particular platform
0: great stuff great stuff yeah it's been a bit of a quiet one this week it all starts to ramp up next week so be sure to join us on next week's show and we will break down the entire fight card ahead of ufc 262 after we look back at what happens this weekend at ufc fight night at the apex enjoy the fights as usual and we'll speak to you in a week's time.